So I was in Wisconsin. I love stories that start like that. <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah, I know. It's it's a great place for stories to start. But I'm in Wisconsin. I'm at this writing conference. Um, it's like a fun one, and we're going to like talk about what I was actually doing there in a minute. But um, I was teaching this course, and then I came back after the course to my little hotel room, and I opened up my inbox, right? As and one I, does. And I had been, like, up on my queries. Like, one thing that you and I have been, like, doing a pretty good job of lately is, like, answering the queries in the morning and, like, getting through them and, like, really, yeah, like, have having... a nice cup of coffee and then, yeah. like, answering, like, your 20 emails sort as of, opposed to, like, 200 in yeah, one day. Sort of like a life-changing magic of tidying up situation, you know. <laughs> um, we've been really good about it. Um, but I open it up and I've got, like... Clarification. We've been really good at it for four days. <laughs> like, literally four days. Progress is progress. Please do not, you know, kill my momentum. Um, but anyway, so I open it up and I've got like 75 new emails. Holy hell. And they're all queries. And Did I they start... accidentally put you in Writer's <laughs> Digest again? You know, no, 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 they didn't. They put me somewhere far worse. Um, and I was looking through and I start clicking through them and they all start saying the same thing, right? They're all saying, well, Eric, you know, David Brooks said... That you are the person I should be sending my novel to, you know. Every, David Brooks of every, the New York Times. Yeah. Yes, every single one of these things is like, well, David Brooks and his column today. David Brooks, David Brooks, David Brooks, and I'm going through. And for anyone who like doesn't follow me online, um, my tweets like fall into like one of three different categories, which is like one is tennis tweets. Yep. One is apologizing for doing the tennis tweets. Yep. And one is getting really mad at the New York Times opinion section. Correct. Actually, that's very <laughs> accurate. Yeah. So um, anyway, that, that's like, the, I feel like the necessary background here. But all of a sudden, you know, New York Times opinion section lead dog, you know, big alpha male David <laughs> Brooks is appearing in my inbox over and over and over again. And I start, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Right. So like the first thing I do is like I go to the New York Times page because like, what if he's written about me? And of course, um, I've blown through all my free articles because I like burn through hate reads of the New York Times opinion section at the beginning of every month. So I don't actually have any. And free you available. open up like yeah. eight of the yeah. same <laughs> tab. Of, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like have to get super mad about it. Um, but then I so I had to go incognito mode and I finally open up this article and Brooks has you going incognito into an article that, that has you in it is just the it's, best. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> But anyway, he did. He actually did mention me by name in this piece, and he referenced it. He referenced this essay I wrote about queries, actually, if we're going to get as meta about it as possible. Like, he was literally writing an essay that then used, like, my inbox as supporting evidence um, because I had written that essay in Literary Hub a few months ago about the Trump novel, right? Like, I wrote that piece, and he, like, referenced it to do some tangential thing. Like, it's hard to know at any given time what David Brooks is talking about, like, on the page. Um, it is really hard so to tell. He sort of insulted me, I think, at one point. Like, he said that I... Well, he, he said that your essay was fascinating, right, which could he, be good or bad. Right, but, then but then he also he said says... That I was writing at the top of my voice. Which either means <laughs> that you're being the most, like well-written literary agent ever or it means that, that you're it. yelling yeah. yeah no i think that i think it's one of those things where if i had been a woman he would have called me shrill is kind of how i'm taking it like <laughs> it was like it's like one of those and 
anyway, so he wrote this thing. I didn't really get it. I was disappointed um, because usually when David Brooks incorporates people into his columns, it's like a made-up poor person who can't understand the deli menu or something. Um, mm. so, so it was good that I guess I, I got to be like my actual self. That was nice. Um, but anyway, he wrote this thing, and suddenly I've got every email you know, from people who think that I really want to see queries from people who think David Brooks is like the smartest dude on earth. And that was um, certainly something. I'm still kind of sifting through them. Um, Have you gotten any good sounding <laughs> novels from the David Brookians? No, because you gotta, I mean, you gotta know who reads who reads this guy. Like You it's do. Not... <laughs> you do. <laughs> that is actually an incredibly fair point. It is me. I'm incredibly well versed on what he's written. It is... <laughs> I actually wonder. I actually wonder what percentage of his reads are like hate reads, like by me. Like I probably like in any given moment. Like I probably click on each of his articles like, like ten times. Like twelve yeah. percent of his reads are, are just you. me. Yeah, exactly. So it's good. My online life is really healthy, um, and now not only is my online life healthy, it's being made even worse because. All, the thing that I spent all day complaining about is now appearing in my inbox minute after minute. And then, like, the next day, and this is what actually got me, like, super, like, mad, is another one of these dudes, this Ezra Klein guy at Vox, right? He, he's the guy who, like, founded Vox. He wrote a column basically, like, arguing the same thing about, you know, some tangential point about Trump. But he also used my essay as like a jumping off point and and his concluding line, which is all fine and good, except it really revealed all of a sudden that what all of these dudes are doing are just sitting around and like recycling each other's material for like six figures read, each. Do you think he actually read your article, oh, or do you think he just took no, David I, no? I think he used the same. I think he used the same quotes as Brooks did. Like, I mean, they're all just like. It's it's maddening to think about what these people get paid to produce like five hundred words. And they didn't <laughs> even at you on Twitter. No, and they didn't even they didn't even like say something nice. Like I was hoping that they would at least like obviously I immediately started railing at both of them online. So like I mean I'm sure they were um, Do you know what though? Yeah. I did click on this the uh, the comments on New York Times. God. And like you should probably be really thankful that they did not there's eight hundred and ninety nine comments on David Brooks' opinion. Usually uh, there are because people get really mad. And the first one the first yeah. one that comes up, which like when you click on the comments, like it doesn't mm-hmm. show on the actual page, you have to click on the comments. Yeah. And then they separate it into New York Times picks, reader picks, and then all. The New York Times pick, the first one that says, all politicians are liars, is the first line. Hell yeah. Um, Excellent. This is the discourse. I've become part of the discourse. And then the very top of the reader picks is, Mr. Brooks, Trump does not spin fantasies. He lies, often and obviously. And then, yeah, and then, like, the top actually, like... One is just like Trump has successfully created a cult. Like <laughs> you're actually, so glad that you're not tagged in that. This is what's actually really good about um, David Brooks is that he has the ability to make literally everyone on every part of the ideological spectrum mad. And that's actually why they have him employed um, is, you know, he can make right wingers mad. He can make, you know, left wingers mad. Everyone just hates every, and, you know, people all click. I mean, I click. Um, but yeah, so basically How? my weekend was spent yeah. getting owned by like the one entity, the New York Times opinion section that I like complain about the most. So, so how, nah. riddle me this, uh, because yeah. I feel like you know the most mm-hmm. out of anybody I know. Like, how do I get the job where I just like 
sit down and spew out like 600 words of nonsense of like my poorly held opinion and then like get paid for it. How do I do that? Okay. So step one is to definitely get mad at like leftist college kids. Like that's like opinion number one you have to have. Okay. And you've just got to start talking about it loudly. Everything is a freedom of speech problem. Um, that's the other thing. I mean, maybe, I mean, really the thing of it is, is like, you've just got to start doing kind of the right wing grift, you know, like you've got to, like you could make six figures like next month if you started doing the, like, I was a liberal, but then, you know, I like woke up and now I'm a conservative. Like people would pay you to show up on Fox News immediately. Like, so it, folks, uh, <laughs> I have to announce that print run is changing tax. Yeah. Uh, we would like money, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so perhaps we should take this opportunity to say welcome. To this episode of Print Run. Welcome. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. <laughs> um, today is what? It's May 29th. Um, yes. We are incredibly happy to be here. We've had a wonderful Memorial Day. We hope you have as well. I went hiking. You went I, hiking? Yeah, I went hiking yeah. in Wisconsin. Hmm. Oh, you and in Wisconsin too? I, yes. I mean, which, to be fair, takes like 20 minutes to get yeah. to. Yeah. But the best the best part is like it's officially summer because it was going to be 98 degrees yesterday. And it was 98 degrees yesterday. Do you remember 98 degrees? I do. Yeah. Remember when Nick Lachey married Jessica Simpson? Of course. Yeah. And then Jessica Simpson, like they had that reality TV show uh-huh. and she thought that Chicken of the Sea was like chicken mm-hmm. and not tuna. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the important point that I would like everybody on this radio show to know is that i wore a crew neck shirt and i still burned underneath the shirt Mm, man welcome Um, to summer thoughts and prayers to you thank you Uh, (laughs) i um, require that so we've got um we've got a few different things we're going to talk about today everything from the zany to the serious um but before we get into any of that how about the basic rundown yeah, so uh, you're re- you're listening to this on theoretically the earliest is Wednesday, May thirtieth. That's because it was Memorial Day. Um, so know that today, also if you are a Patreon subscriber, first pages show will be up. And then instead of writing by reading this month, we are doing a really fun Q and A. We're calling it Ask Print Run. It mm-hmm. will be a it will be a episode that will show up whenever we have you know enough things to talk about for a while. And it's a very like in-depth, very kind of complex uh, conversation about, you know, all those general questions that people have for agents, but have like an answer that takes more than 280 characters. I mean, it's a show where you guys pick the topics. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So if you're super, super curious about the exact proportions of Eric's super mom coffee, (laughs) ask that and then tune in because nobody asked that yet. And I, I would like to, Yeah. Um, I would like him to go through it with somebody other than me. Yeah. Please, for the love of God. Um, (laughs) So definitely send us your questions where, you know, you can hashtag ask print run. You can DM us. You can at us. You can email us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Any and all of these ways work. You can send a carrier pigeon. I don't know how they're going to like get there, but like go for it. We can try. Mm -hmm. So um, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Yeah. So, um, you know, the first thing we usually like to do um, when we travel somewhere for book related reasons is kind of give a little recap. And so I was in, um, like I mentioned, I was in Wisconsin this weekend. I went to this little writer workshop. Um, It was a lot of it was very like craft focused mostly i mean they it was like a set of writers who were just kind of up there it's like 15 or 20 people. yeah no just like yeah. working on their working on their books together right and like what was really i was up there to give a talk that felt a little bit 
I don't I don't want to say out of place because that's wrong, but it it was kind of an odd fit because I was up there to talk about like building an author platform, right? Yeah. And I was but I was talking to this set of writers. I mean, it was kind of actually a really interesting crowd in a way because it was a lot of like. Um, like well-published cozy mystery writers, you know, mm. were up there, and so like they, you know, they kind of skewed older, you know, it was sort of like the older ladies, um, but like a lot of them, like with real, um, you know, real es- chops, real chops, real established writing careers, a few newbies, you know, in the mix too, but like, but I was there to talk about author platform, right, and it felt very strange because all of a sudden I was having to like. You know, when I think of author plat, when I think of author platform, you know, and, or you think of author platform, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Um, I'm thinking like reach plus content. Yeah, I mean, just like, you know, anything like that. But even like to me, in terms of vehicle for getting that, I start thinking about social media. Sure. Right. Like I start thinking. Well, about- that's the reach part, right? right? Exactly. Like I start thinking about all these digital technologies that. All of these people up there had basically spent most of the conference up to that point talking about how much they hated, you know? <laughs> and to be fair, and, this is a week-long intensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a week-long intensive, and they, you know, it was just people who had never, you know, like I said, I mean, it's not that, you know, there aren't older people on social media, but, like, this, it was the sort of crowd where they felt like it was for younger folks. They felt like it was something that, you know, they didn't really want to do. It felt non-essential. And then here I was about to get up and, like, explain like writer twitter to like people who had never been online before so like all of a sudden i was like you know talking about you know using you know hashtags and like trying to find other audience and like i'm just like picturing all the like the insane shit that happens on like book twitter on a given basis and i'm like hmm, how do i like put how do i explain like cocky eight to <laughs> like, <laughs> like to these to these elderly folks um and it's but it got me it got me really thinking like about this idea of platform right and it's like what actually is it and what can it actually mean and does it always have to relate to online i don't actually think it does you know i mean to me it ends up just being um you know the way in which you find your people you yeah. know and how effective are you at doing it and how much they actually like read what you say right and you know these people had ways of doing that that had nothing to do with online yeah. you know they were big features that you know they went to conferences they go to places you know they did in-person events all over the place they wrote into magazines like have a mailing it was list a much di- yeah exactly it's a much different set of things than like you like the typical boilerplate items like you and i would instruct a new client to start doing you know what i mean um and it was just it was just kind of interesting but like there were just these moments as i'm like talking up there like trying to explain like you know the thursday aesthetic to um <laughs> from like ya twitter to like these people who just have no interest in joining it doing it whatever you know yeah. and if their readers aren't on it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. and while you're teaching this class your mentions are your mentees oh, yeah, no. are going yeah, crazy is, yeah while this is happening i'm like you know unbeknownst to me i'm like preparing to you know start you know doing what i do best laura which is yell at the new york times <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no so that was good and like what really kind of you know i mean just Trying to explain something inherently unreasonable to a bunch of reasonable as a, people. As a good idea yeah, like, for you know like a business really decision. Here's the thing. It would be really good if you guys just like set up an account and got on there and just started, just started, you know, adding everyone you could find. Just start harassing them. Just start, you know, raising hell about everything you're possibly mad about. That's how you build an author platform in, in 2018. Um, but it, yeah, it was, uh, it was a real hoot. I'll tell you that. I'm really interested to hear like what 
their like course evals were for your <laughs> class on that. Who was this awful man? Who got and, up and told me to... And why did he keep saying, bye, Felicia? Like <laughs> He was mentioning reaction gifts. It was terrible. Um, yeah. Um, but so we have some... Luckily, this this transitions really well into some perfectly reasonable writer Twitter behavior. Which um, is Cockygate. Over the, which is Cockygate, which is the gift that keeps on giving. It never quits. It sure does. Um, it's incredibly good all the time, and it didn't show any signs of slowing down this week. So what, what do we got for the latest? Thing, that is like the super good thing about like bringing publishing into the law <laughs> is that like it sticks around forever because like yeah. legal processions like happen way faster than than you know the the social media news cycle yeah um and so this this is indeed the gift that keeps on giving because it's going to be around for a while so if you listen to episode 68 mm-hmm. um which is two episodes ago uh cocky we talk about Felina Hopkins, who is a indie romance author who decided to trademark the word cocky yeah. with regards to series for romance ebooks. So she hasn't she hasn't backed down at all. She no, because what happens on Twitter, Eric, when somebody uh, is presented with a problem, uh, they, their options are to back down and be reasonable uh-huh. or to double down. Or do the awesome thing. Yeah. Or do the awesome thing. And so uh, Felina went super awesome. Yeah, right. So uh, Felina is now kind of, I think, from what I can only assume to be the uh, advice from her lawyer uh-huh. has sort of shut down her um, social media uh, rants, uh-huh. I guess you could call yeah. them. You that know, was ninety real... minutes of like talking to the camera about like how shitty other romance. That was a real are. bummer for me. I was hoping those would continue. Every once in a while, she comes back on with a take. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's really a big fan of like screenshotting and then commenting. Yeah. But so um, she, but she did something new. Now she has, she's filed some restraining orders. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. So, um. As, as a refresher, she filed two different trademarks for the word cocky. Um, and then there is, you know, a bunch of a bunch of people were not fans of that. And so there were a bunch of people who wrote short parodies uh-huh. of the of the whole situation. There is a group doing a um, like a like a anthology of like cocky parodies. I just want to stop and commemorate that for a second. Yeah. Because that truly is glorious. Like you went online and you provided such a reprehensible opinion that everyone disliked so much that they decided to pool together, write new material, mm-hmm. create a book anthology, sell the book, and use the proceeds to fund the lawsuit against you. Isn't that Incredible. just like... That's a level of take-making that I think, I don't know that I've ever seen. It's <laughs> it's Hall of Fame. Like Yeah. And then another, and then a writer who does not write romance, by the way, uh, but his name is Kevin Nupner. Uh... Or Knupner. I'm not sure if he pronounces that second K, but I'm going to go with it because then it's got some good alliteration. (laughs) Uh, He is a former attorney. He's still licensed, but he's not a practicing attorney so much anymore. Um, But he's a he's a writer. I think he writes mysteries and thrillers. And he filed um, a cancellation or like an injunction or whatever it's called. People went after the trademark. Yeah. He went after the trademark because he's got, you know, that legal background. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's got the time and he's like into it. Right. So good for him. Good for Kev. Uh, so Felina 
because um, instead of just like sending like semi fake cease and desist letters to authors with the word cockies in their titles Mm -hmm. or asking Amazon to remove uh, reviews with the word cocky in them Mm -hmm. on any book. Not just hers, but any book. Yeah, that's good. Um, Amazon totally just like, all right, cool, we'll do it. Pick like, the total yeah. right side, right? <laughs> yeah, let's just like, let's just get rid of all instances of the word cocky. Yeah. Um, so Felina Hopkins issued uh, like legal proceedings of various kinds to uh, Tara Crescent, Jennifer Watson, and Kevin. What up, Kev? Uh, and so... Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of different things that she's doing. Um, Tara Crescent is an author who's got a book series that's got the word title or got the word cocky in the titles. Mm -hmm. Um, and Watson's a publicist. So that's really interesting. Like the big thing is that she's part of like this group that's doing the anthology. And then Kevin is the one that filed the injunction. So essentially, um, Felina (laughs) is claiming a loss of income as a result for, um, as a result of like the campaign against her, I mean, she's by claiming, these three people, she's claiming harassment, right? Yeah, and she yeah. so she she issued preliminary injunctions against um the against Tara and Jennifer, and then she did a restraining order against Kevin. Excellent. So essentially, yeah. like the restraining order is meant to cancel the appeal to the trademark, and all of that is getting a little confusing. But essentially, she's like they're now like suing each other mm-hmm. is is the key takeaway here you know what this is though like it's crazy and this stuff this stuff started picking like we had kind of thought it died down right like you know she kind of got off social media like there was like a stretch a few days where it felt like things were going to kind of get reasonable mm-hmm. again but this is the logical end to it like if you start from a position of that sort of like legal action and people don't listen like the next step is to just keep suing. You yeah. know what I mean? And <laughs> like, one of yeah, and and yeah. the font maker who so mm-hmm. like one of the one of the trademarks that Felina did was for the word cocky in a particular font. But the particular font was designed by um, a a guy who owns um, Set Sail Studios, which like makes fonts, I guess. And his terms and conditions say that you can't trademark anything with that font, and so he's like issued a cease and desist letter, et cetera, et cetera. But the best part about all of this, the best part, Eric, is that Courtney Milan is on the case. Mm-hmm. So Courtney Milan, if you are not familiar, um, is a New York Times and bestselling uh, romance author. Mm-hmm. She's a woman of color. She's a fucking law professor. <laughs> and she is just like so mad. Yeah. She is just like so logged on to this situation. Yeah. And so she has been kind of plumbing all of like she's been reading all of the legal documents and like tweeting about it. But the best part is that Courtney found um, that in Felina's like suits, she's basically claiming like in the in the injunctions that the reason for her trademark, like defending her trademark, is that romance novel series consumers do not exercise a high degree of care. (laughs) So what's so good about that is she's like basically saying that she's basing her entire, um, you know, the premise of her lawsuit around the idea that romance, per- like romance novel purchasers, readers, yeah. are like too stupid to differentiate between the books. Yeah. So and, so the exact yeah. phraseology 
is unsophisticated consumers aggravate the likelihood of confusion. Unsophisticated this consumers. Is, uh, this is especially true when the competing products marks are similar and the products are in competitive proximity. That means that two books that have cocky in the title. Mm -hmm. In this matter, it is respectfully submitted that the books are often impulse purchases based upon a publication's cover or title. Bare-chested, muscular males and extremely attractive females traverse across the cover of many romance novels. The plaintiff's marks, so Felina Hopkins' marks, distinguish those common elements with a word and a style which is unique and permits her novels to be easily identified as written by her. Moreover, there is no particular consumer sophistication attached to likely purchasers of the books at issue, which are geared towards a wide segment of the American public. So, first of all, I love that they're claiming that the uh, font and that the word cocky identify the books as being by her instead of like her name on the cover of yeah. a book. Yeah, it's like um, none of yeah. it, it's all of it is entirely superfluous. And it gets yeah. back to what we were saying the other week. Like she's also super mad at Fabio, like mm -hmm. just just, you know, mm -hmm. bare chested, muscular male males are the reason that she's allowed to have yep. a trademark. Yep. So like. Fabio yep. is the reason cocky gate is happening <laughs> is what I'm hearing. I just, think, I just find the, I mean, it's just the same thing. Like the reason we're kind of back on this again is because, um, you know, it escalated, you know, because nothing ever just goes away. Nothing can ever just be reasonable. And like, and then we had, we had this other thing, oh, right? Yeah. I just, I like, I just don't understand why people think it's like a good idea to piss off other writers or to piss off readers and like, you know, slamming them. But yeah, so after all of this happened, we think, oh, good, nobody's ever going to do this again. Well, um, there's three U days later, three <laughs> days later, USA Today bestselling author of romance, Heidi McLaughlin, uh, it was found had um, her books had been assigned a or or a trademark application for the word forever, forever, forever. And this is, she's a romance writer, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. Please note that all romance novels end with a happily ever after. Like yeah. every single one. Every single one. And so she, what I really loved about this one is that, so she applied for a trademark. When for, people found out, they got the really mad. Of course, because like, you know, what else are people going to do? They got mad. And then the, the response is, was so good to me. The response that Heidi had was... I didn't do this. Mm -hmm. Somebody is impersonating yes. me and my lawyer. Just so everyone knows, I would just like everyone to point out that, like, we kind of broke down my tweets earlier, you know, into, like, thirds. All the ones you don't like are the ones by an impersonator. <laughs> I, <laughs> and all the ones you do like are done by me. Yeah. So the, the line, the party line from her was that um, she had not done this. She had not consented to it. There had apparently been a situation where somebody had been impersonating her for many months or years. Um, but then her lawyer, who is who was working for Heidi as a lawyer at this point, but is also a literary agent, which we're not going to get into. But anyway, her lawyer said that everything in like that she had, in fact, registered the trademark at the behest of her client, mm -hmm. the author, and could not say more due to confidentiality. So then the author and the lawyer were basically saying totally different things. And good old Courtney just like added them until like they they figured out that indeed 
this was a colossal mistake, and then they canceled the trademark application. Well, it's just this, it's the same thing as you know both of these kind of taken in some. You know, it's just one of those things where you know this is going to happen. Like, there's no way you're going to just like. I mean, because eventually, let, let's say that no one ever notices mm-hmm. that you get away with your trademark. You put it through, it comes in. Eventually, you get that to enforce it, right? Like, you're yeah. going to try to get everyone There's else. There's a to reason. Quit. Like, you're trying to be aggressive. You know, you're trying to be these things. And, you're and like, obviously, that isn't, you know, I mean, there are certain trademarks everybody should get, you know. But, like, the idea of, like, taking a commonly used word, especially within a genre, and just, like, you know, I don't know. Like, at some point, you sort of... Like the absurdity that is headed for you when you do that, it's the if you don't see that coming, I feel like you're kind of not really paying that good of yeah. attention. Yeah, I don't know. I just I just feel like the big takeaway here, and I know we're we're very far out from um you know the end of cocky gate, and you know luckily the whole forever thing is is over with and canceled, but like I feel like. You know, the big takeaway from this is, you know, a reader who reads a romance novel that has, you know, a cocky hero, has an alpha like (laughs) hero is going to read another book. Like, like, you know, it's one of those things where like books, it's not like a dishwasher. Like you don't only need one, Mm -hmm. you know, especially with romance, especially, you know, with genre fiction, you know, and and I feel like. So much of this industry is focused on making authors think that they have to compete. Yep. You know, and and so much of it is, you know, but they get to do this, so I don't. And that's not really true because, you know, that's not how reader behavior works. Yeah, it's not. And it's also just, like, needlessly aggressive. And, um, like, what... (laughs) I guess the last detail that I wanted to bring up was uh, Felina Hopkins on Twitter has changed her bio to something about like bull- cyberbullying now is at bad. this point, right? Yeah. And then hashtag enough. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh my God. no, nobody's actually bullying you. It's just that you're literally attacking the livelihood of other off- authors yeah. because you don't think highly yeah. enough of your readers. Anyway, anyway, um, so it's that's, all really good. It's yeah. another great normal day online. With all our book friends, and that's the update. It's, it's we're truly blessed to be working on a radio show during this period because yeah. everyone is just continually choosing to behave unreasonably, and yeah. I appreciate that about them. I think that that is a highly respectable quality. So. If only they were all published in the New York Times, yeah. then that would really be the cream of the crop for Eric. Yeah. Uh, but you know, essentially that's, that's the deal and that's the take. And you know, we'll keep following this as it happens, but like, just look, be I'm, reasonable. Look, I'm ready to stop talking about it. Like anytime you guys, any, I'm looking at you book world. Like anytime you want me to stop talking about this <laughs> stuff, I will, but you keep putting new things in. Like I'm not, I can't ignore it. Um, so let's talk about embezzlement. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the be- that's one of our better transitions. You can tell we're improving at radio. How come every um, time I do a transition, you feel the need to comment on because it? You it's can't so just, funny. It's you so can't, good. You can't just like let it be a transition. Know, like right. we need to like right. stop and like examine the transition. We can, we can edit this part. I out. would like to trademark this transition. All right, all right. All right. We can we can edit okay. this part out, and it'll be it'll sound really. Speaking smooth. of being reasonable. Speaking. <laughs> ooh. Speaking of being reasonable. Speaking of being reasonable, um, we have this story in the New York Post that that came out today um, that 
Um, talks about the agency, uh, let's see here, Don, Donatio and Olson is the agency. Which has been and, around since the 50s. Which has been around for, since, for a while. They've done all sorts of um, authors. You know, they work with Pynchon. They work with Chuck Palahniuk, who we're going to get into in a minute. You know, they've had some real successes, Stugs right? They've got Turkle, some, Mario Puzo, who wrote The Godfather. Yeah, lots of, yeah. Lots of people who, who have really written some successful books. And we found out today that they are basically, at least for the last decade or so, have been victims of wire fraud from their accountant. And, you know, here we've got this idea, um, you know, Darren Webb, 47, faces 20 years in jail on wire fraud charges for embezzling $3.4 million from, you know, this literary agency. And How did nobody notice that money was gone well, it's in just, publishing? It's just crazy because there's, there's like so many aspects of this that I just find to be eyebrow raising. And... The first is, I mean, obviously we should start with, um, you know, this guy has embezzled this much money. Like, clearly he should be, you know, prosecuted to the, you know, extent of, you know what I mean? Like, like why, you know, like, you know, it's wire transfer fraud. Like, I mean, this is, so that's like step, like we're about to be critical of other parties, but like step one is to understand that like the person who did the embezzling is, you know, the person we should be most critical of, but you know, beyond that, there are details of the story that kind of really bother me. And the first, I think, um, comes from, you know, Chuck Palahniuk's... Uh, I have no idea if I'm saying that right. Am I saying that Polinick. right? Polinick. Polinick? It's Paula Ex- and then Nick. Okay. It says so on his website. I know oh, because wow. I looked. Sure. <laughs> Chuck Polinick. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, he wrote... He kind of wrote a statement today, and it sort of got at this idea that, you know, he's been missing money. You know what I mean? Like, he's been... You know, and he's been asking about it, and it's been, I mean, he claims here, you know, something like, you know, 200000 bucks that he should have had, doesn't have, and then what kind of troubles me about that, beyond just the fact that we have an author here not being paid, you know, what he's owed, and is just the what seems to be just a sheer breakdown in communication just across the board from this stuff over years over over i mean yeah over to I mean, somebody as successful as chuck polinick not getting any royalties well so here's um you know here i mean he says here um you know and this is a quote from the statement he released today that again i just like i found really kind of sad because it suggested a guy who's just been put off as he asks about his money again and again and again, and for good reason, because it's not showing up. You know what I mean? Like, and so this is just, there's like one line um, here that I, or one little paragraph here that I wanted to read. He says, you know, more recently, the trickle of my income stopped. Not that there wasn't always a good excuse. Someone's mother was suffering from Alzheimer's and needed constant looking after. The bank's wire transfer system wasn't secure and hackers were a new threat. You don't question someone who claims to be the caregiver for a mother with dementia. You let it slide. I let it slide. And to me, it's just like, you know, this guy has, you know, was asking, and not only was he asking about it, but he was being put off with stories meant to kind of evoke humanity. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, he was told, like, he was told to kind of, you know, wait for a while because, you know, these people were dealing with, you know, sick parents and do, doing these things that were just had nothing to do with the actual situation. And I don't know, you know, if he was getting these answers from, you know, this accountant himself who he was in touch with or whether it was from, you know, the, you know, the agency who was just not telling him yeah. the truth about what was going on. And like between that and, you know, we find out, you know, in the New York Post, it sounds like some of the other, you know, some of the lawyers for some of these other um, authors 
they found out about this arrest in you know in the New York in Post. The Post. Like, they are they're finding out in the news. Like no one is talking to these people. The and the agency I just, isn't isn't talking about it at all. It just feels to me I guess maybe the way I would almost put it is just like it's all too familiar. You know, it just feels like such a publishing specific mess because on the one hand you've got just really dumb accounting practices, right? Like you've got somehow you've let this person just commit wire transfer fraud, you know, by, you know, providing false statements, you know, he, you know, this guy was just allowed unchecked to kind of cover his tracks and do these things for at least since 2011, there seems to be an investigation that's going to go back further than that. Um, and it's, it's like, how did no one, like, no one was, like, checking on this dude. No one. No audits. There wasn't, like, another, like, person. Like, no, like, the, you know, guy who was running the agency never thought, to, like. What especially about the royalty because, statements? Especially because I can only assume that every author was, who was being kind of, you know, was looking for their money. Like, Chuck Polinick couldn't have been the only one to have been asking about this stuff, you know. And it's just, I don't know, between that and then just the absolute gaslighting of, you know, the authors as they go, which is a thing that absolutely happens for small situations and large in publishing. Like, public, like entities will use access and lack of information as a tool to protect their own asses constantly. And to be clear, like, this, like, again, like, it bears reiterating, like, the original situation here is not the agency's fault, you know, like, they were stolen from, like, that's, like, very straightforwardly not their fault. But, like, the way this stuff gets handled, I just... Man, I don't know, and we'll see what happens now, but... Yeah, I mean, like, to give only one person unfettered access to your to your books, though, yeah. for over a decade, like, that that does bear some examination, you know? F- you know, uh, uh, from what I can see here is, you know, in a lot of ways, like, these authors were not provided with their royalty statements, or the royalty statements were falsified, um, you know, and, and like, and... All of these authors are here not knowing what to do. And like Chuck Palahniuk, for example, has railed against his publishers for non-payment. He's yelled at people about um, about pirating his books, which would explain low sale. He apologizes in this statement for having for having been stolen from for six figures money. He's in this statement saying, I'm sorry that I got mad at. What he thought, I guess he thought that like maybe this the publisher wasn't paying him. Yeah, or, or people you know? stealing pirated and, copies of his book. Right. Like, and you know, there's just, there's like this part here that just it just makes me it just makes me crazy. Here he says, you know, on the minus side, this chain of events leaves me close to broke. To be robbed feels, huh, flattering. As a kid, every summer my family made a week long drive to see the ocean. While gone, we left our house unlocked. I asked my mother why one time, and she sighed. She took me from room to room, showed me our faded, scuffed plastic dishes, our black and white console television where the picture shrunk smaller and smaller as the tube failed, our frayed clothes. Her point was, what's to steal? We had nothing except endless friends and family. And it's just like, you know, every, it's just like whenever, anytime this kind of stuff comes up, who ends up having to pay the brunt of it, right? It's the people who... Put the real creative work in at the front. It's the people who are the most easily taken advantage of. It's always the authors. You know, like, that's who ends up having to always pay for this. Like, and up to this moment, still, he has paid for it. It's not like he's gotten his money back yet. No. And, And, I mean, and he might never get it back. 
Yeah. You know, like that's that's not like how stealing works, you know, like the government will try to reclaim as much money from this accountant as they can. And, you know, the lawyer for the the literary agency have said that the agency's singular focus at this time is ensuring that all of its impacted clients are made whole to the greatest extent possible. And the agency is cooperating in every possible way with the government's efforts. But like this agency also didn't tell them. It's just strange. Like, it just feels like, yeah, I don't know. It just, to me, the the bits here, regardless, you know, whether it's a situation that feels incredibly extreme like this or something smaller, there's kind of this cycle where something dumb happens and then no one says anything about it. And the person who actually faces the consequences or gets hit by it is the author. Meanwhile, everyone else is just trying to make sure that the author doesn't find out and get mad, you know? I mean, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with cocky gate. Like for example, (laughs) like not, I mean, not to totally like backtrack, but like what happened is that this one author was attacking individual indie authors with threatening, threatening things saying, you know, like, don't tell anybody about this. Yeah. And like finally one person did after you know lots and lots of authors changed their book titles and were and were threatened into, you know, changing the metadata that would highly impact their sales. And you know, like it's it's I I want to find a way where like publishing being bad at running businesses does not impact the authors. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I don't know how, but (laughs) (laughs) well, I mean, I mean, the thing of it is, is that we do know how you just like run a base, basically competent accounting department. You know what I mean? Like, it's some of this stuff. It's just you have to behave in a way that feels analogous whatsoever to another industry. Like, I can't tell you the number of times where I just like will sit down with someone who works in literally any other field. Um, and just like start describing things that happen at like you know businesses related to publishing, and they'll their job will just drop because it's crazy. Like so many things happen, and like you hit an extreme situation where it's like this. It's like well, no, this. I mean, it surprises me that we don't hear more yeah. of this kind of stuff. To be honest, like the idea that people aren't like I just feel like publishers and you know, like they're eminently exploitable on the financial side because like no one is paying attention, and it just I don't know. So that brings us to our pub tip mm-hmm. this week, yeah. which is something that is going to, you know, seem really clear and simple for those of you who haven't been published yet. But for those of you who have received one, it'll feel like a very daunting task. Um, this week's pub, t- pub tip is to learn to read royalty statements. Yes. Um, you know, they're famously complicated. There's all sorts of numbers that don't make a lot of sense. And then there's things that have to do with like not only are you having to deal with the math of like different royalty rates for different formats of your of your book sale selling you also have to deal with uh, earning back your advance and you also have to deal with books being returned and you also have to deal um with like any reserves Typically, you know, uh, publishing houses will keep a certain percentage of your royalties that you've already earned on reserve in the event of, you know, returned books. Like, that's a lot of complicated math. Mm-hmm. And I know that, like, a lot of people who write books are not um, are not necessarily very comfortable or competent with that sort it's of one, math. It's one, like, reason why people want to get an agent. Is exactly. Because you can get someone to handle this stuff. But the thing of it is, is you just got to remember that, like, they are representing you. Yeah. You know, like this is the those numbers that 
they're yours. You know, it's your money that we're talking about. Yeah. It's your situation. It's your product. Like, it's something that, and I just think that you know you've got to kind of own the information too yeah. in whatever way that you can. And you can. have to understand, and, and like, it's worth it. Like, yes, you have a partner there as an agent, but it's also like irresponsible to not be literate in your own like business of being a writer yeah i mean and so you know like learn to read royalty statements this is not something that you'll be able to figure out on your own so ask your agent or if you don't have an agent ask you know an author friend who does know like ask you know ask you the the accountant at the small publishing house that you're at to explain things for you and if they don't explain it and they don't teach you seriously question why they're not willing to tell you and this is not to say like the point of all this is not to be like question everything you know don't like don't trust anyone you're working with i mean but it is just to kind of be like you know you can trust everyone you're working with but that is to say like the information is yours the information is yours you should own it and you should know you should have your own like thoughts on it even as you work with someone like the reason you have an agent is to help Maybe the way I would think about it is like, it's like this. The reason you have an agent is to help contextualize the information. Yes. Right? Like it's to help make sense of it. It's to help tell you how it exists in relation to the rest of publishing. Not to like be the only one who knows the information. Yeah. You know? So I have calls often with my authors, you know, once they get their royalty statements, like they know how to read them. Yeah. But the question is not how do I read this or what does this say? The question is, okay, now that I know what this says, is this good or bad? Yeah, what does it mean? What like, does it that's mean? what your agent's for. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, um, should I be upset that this book isn't selling? Is this book flopping? Like, is this expected? Like yeah. what is happening? Yeah. You know, and it gets even more complicated the more books that you have. So like having that base knowledge is incredibly important um, you know, also know, you know, this is, this is not part of the pub tip, but it is a pub tip. Um, know that, you know, you should be able to inspect the books in your contract of any publisher or agent that you are working with. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, make sure that if you sign a contract that that is in there and that if you ever have a question or that niggly feeling, um, definitely take advantage of it. Yeah. So, all right. So there you go. Protect yourself. Become literate. Uh, you know, ignore cocky gate until the next time we have an update for you, because trust me, otherwise you'll go mad. Um, stay tuned for a special Ask Print Run episode coming to you tomorrow. Yeah, actually. Out yep. So that'll be three episodes this yep. week. One regular Ooh. one that you're listening to right now, plus two specials. Um, and we will see you for another regular episode next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.